Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon. Would you like access to bonus episodes, digital extras, exclusive merch, and more? Then join us in the Curiosity Shop at patreon.com backslash Bones and Bobbins. Your generous support helps make the show happen and will also earn you our very eternal gratitude yeah. and entry into our private Patreon-only Facebook group where you may get to hear my giant cat yelling no. <laughs> cat outtakes, the oh tour of goodness. all the small middle-of-nowhere cemeteries I drive past, all kinds yes. of fun stuff. Just fun. Just fun stuff. And adventures we go on when we actually can go on adventures together? Yes. There will be many. Just consider for a moment the possibilities. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so we'll bring you along if you're one of our patrons. So you yep. should probably uh, go ahead and join up. Yeah. In a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street, you'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, you'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, we're always discreet. Where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. Hello, morbid makers. We are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting, somewhat sinister, delightfully discomposed, opaquely odd, merrily morbid, marvelously misanthropic hosts. And this is Bones and Bobbins, Season 2, Episode 10, Pearly Whites and Pearly Frights. <laughs> I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors and the Very Serious Crafts Podcast. And I'm Natalie from Uber Dark Designs, an official true crime creative. See, I put the right one in this time. You did! Yay! Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my goodness. So how are you? I'm good. I am good. Um, I'm in that 10 steps forward and only two steps back. Okay. <laughs> progress looks like that is a solid amount of progress. That's what I'm saying. Like I just ordered supplies for my holiday season. Wow! Like trying to get that you're ahead of the curve. Out. Now that could, of course, arrive, get shoved in a corner, not dealt with for months, and then I go, "Oh shit, I need to start that." But I mean, yes, it might go straight to hell, but it yeah. might not. Uh, yeah. So there's that. Uh, the project I was working on, wherein I crocheted wire, giant wire earrings for those the, are so fucking cool. Thank you uh, for the Minneapolis Fashion Week. I was pretty excited. Um, the my friend who is a designer, and she actually she constructed an entire dress in the same fashion. Uh, with the same, she crocheted it with the same wire gauge that I was using. Um, oh, I didn't realize that that yeah. was what was going on. That's long, cool. Yeah, that long gold with the gold bodysuit. And every one of her models are just stunning. 
Um, yes. So it was really excited to see it, just to see it walk the runway and see, you know, to be just a tiny part of the show like that. Um, so that's done and over. Um, although uh, I suspect it'll, it'll, um, there'll be more. There'll be more fun. Um, yeah. I mean, those were just, they're awesome. I Thank you. Yeah, they, they looked really cool. It felt good. It felt good to uh, step out into a, a new new material to use and, you know, for a fashion show. And so yeah. It was exciting. And, I mean, it just looks so good in combination with, like, the whole outfit, the makeup, just all the look. It yeah. was, it was perfect. Yeah, it was exciting. And it was fun. So, how are you? I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> I uh I don't remember what I have or have not said publicly. I'm working on two simultaneous large secret projects that mm-hmm. I do not know if I can talk about yet or not. Um I mean they're books. I imagine that most people probably guessed that. Yep. But uh yeah, so there's a lot going on. I'm Turning out a lot of work in a short amount of time. You're kicking ass at it. I think it's going all right. I, I'm going to just knock on the all the wood. <laughs> yes. um, but you know, it's fun. I, I am doing what I like to do in a format that I like to do it. So There you go. That's a win-win. Yeah. So that's... That is literally all I'm doing right now. Well, I guess that and podcasts. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. Which is important and good and fun. It's true. Yes. That is the one good thing about... Well, even if you have, have to do research work and stuff like that, like, podcasts are fun assuming that you're doing the kind of podcast you want to be doing which we are and then we get to hang out and like have a good reason to tell each other ridiculous stories (laughs) for an hour before we actually record (laughs) because that is what we do every time yeah and it's the best it is it's so it it's like my therapy it really is like I when um, when things got super hectic, like getting ready to, you know, having to get the project to where I ended up having to drive to Minneapolis to drop stuff off. Oh, my and moving and all that stuff. Like when it got super crazy, uh, my oldest was like, you know, maybe you should just take a week off. And I was like, maybe you should shush your face because I know. <laughs> That's like being like, maybe you shouldn't have the ice cream. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's my fun I'm, thing. I'm doing glad it. Glad we're the ice cream. Yeah. I mean, so. we're both the ice cream, and that's kind of awkward, but also apt. Exactly. So yeah. Yes, I like it. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah, it's one of those things where. Yeah, like you said, we could, I could take a couple months off, but no. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I would be looking up this stuff anyway. 
I, these rabbit holes would happen whether or not we talked about them. Right. So I think that we should. Right. You know who we should also talk about? Who? Would it be our, I don't know, fantastic Curiosity Shop members? Yes. We love them. We do. And uh, now is the time where we take a quick break to thank them all. Like mm-hmm. every one of you listening, you are amazing. And if yes. you choose to join us over on Patreon, right here, right now on this podcast, this is a section where we would totally give you a, uh, like, super normal, not at all creepy welcome. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Yes. Um, and also, we would immediately start hanging out with you on the internet. So yep. if you like that sort of thing... Um, you should come join us because we don't have any new patrons this week and we love to have new patrons because then we get to be excited about it. So we do like I give you an embarrassingly huge call out like and make sure everybody in the group knows that you're new and you're there. Yeah, it's true and it's fun <laughs> and everybody gets excited. So yes. anyway, to our current and future patrons you're the best and we would totally go explore hidden old graveyards in the woods with you absolutely and summer is coming which means mosquitoes and i'm allergic and i would still go oh god i'm allergic too (laughs) i guess they're we're gonna actually i kind of like that we are extremely similar in our travel needs. <laughs> <laughs> right? It just works. <laughs> yep. And I just like, I just want to put out there just for a moment, I don't understand why Europe refuses to have screens. Right? The like, guys, seriously. you aren't together. impervious to winged insects. Clearly they did not grow up in the Midwest like we did. No. No, I'm just thinking of mm. summering in France. Travel screens. Is that a thing? If not, it should be. Oh, you can get collapsible screens. Okay. Says the person who worked at a hardware store through all of high school. <laughs> She's oh, like, yeah, I've you can got definitely this. get um window screens. You know like the window fans? Yeah. You can get screens that accordion or not really accordion that slide. Um, to fit the space. Like baby gates. Nice. Only screens. Perfect. Uh, yeah, so we can totally travel with screens. And explaining that to TSA would be <laughs> my delight. Right? Yeah. I once had to explain to TSA what my ultrasonic cleaner for my retainers was. <laughs> and I feel like it's pretty obvious it's like yeah. dentures shaped. I have, I've never had to explain anything to TSA. I did witness on a flight, uh, getting ready to board a flight in San Francisco, uh, a kid in front of me decided to be a total douche. And um, they were like, uh, can you, you know, open your laptop and fire it up? And he was like, uh, why? And they were like, well, we need to make sure it's an actual laptop and not a bomb. And this dumbass kid was ballsy enough to be like, 
Uh, don't you think if I was smart enough to put a bomb in a computer, I'd be smart enough to make sure that the computer's still booted? And to which the grin... The I mean, grin, he's not wrong. True. But the grin that came over the TSA agent's face as he then confiscated the computer and proceeded to open it up and pull every component out. Oh my god! Then just hand the parts back to this kid... Was amazing. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. Maybe don't be a dick to the TSA, dude. Yeah. I once Let's accidentally brought a knife. Oh, I can see that happening. And then couldn't find it. Oh. <laughs> it took me and multiple TSA agents a long time to find the knife. And um, it was it wasn't an actual knife. It was like um, a blade on a multi-tool. Oh, but okay. when I I finally figured out where it was, which was in my wallet, um, <laughs> and with triumph held it up, and <laughs> like the TSA agents were so excited and high fived me, and then I just had this moment where I was like, "Oh right, I am a small white girl, mm-hmm. and this could have gone very differently oh, for a yeah. lot of people, and that is not fine." No, no, it's not. No. They were uh, really bummed that they couldn't let me keep it. And I was just like, listen, I actually own multiple of these because I've had to throw them out in the airport. <laughs> because I always forget they're there. It's fine. But Understandable. Yeah. TSA and I have a long and storied history of hijinks, but not negative hijinks. I would think not, because then you'd be on a no-fly list. (laughs) I mean, there are reasons that that is not the case, given my family. Anyway, so uh, I actually totally didn't mean to segue into talking about dentures with that story. It was entirely unrelated. <laughs> it wasn't because actually you started out talking about your retainer, which would have been a decent like segue into it. But I think I derailed us with the laptop. Well, I wasn't actually intending to use either of them. Shh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. Nobody I'm really good at my that. job. <laughs> I'm, gr- I'm great at my job. Oh, my goodness. Um, anyway. I'm the, I'm the one that sucks at segues. <laughs> So you may have uh, have gathered by this point that I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey through how dentures happened and why. And it's not necessarily what you're thinking and also... <laughs> All right. So the thing about researching the history of false teeth Um, is that it seems like literally every office of cosmetic dentistry and every manufacturer of toothpaste Mm. has a section on their website that is the history of dentures. And I just, first of all, Colgate's is questionable. I just want to say. I will say incomplete. 
Um, not that I'm necessarily going to be complete because I do not think that is possible. Right. But, but I raise my eyebrow at, uh, at big toothpaste. Damn, big toothpaste. I know. Um, so, obviously, the dentists and the toothpaste manufacturers are trying to sell me something. Mm-hmm. So, their information is a little suspect because of that. Although, I kind of don't think that dentures are usually an impulse buy. I, but, I would think not. And I would think mm-hmm. they would have two different goals. Because I would think the yeah. toothpaste people are like, you don't want to need them. and the dentist- Well, you got to clean your dentures. Oh, that's true. Do you use toothpaste? Do you, do you brush them, brush them? I-, <laughs> uh, I think there are multiple answers, but I, you, I, you do them I like uh, retainers. So the fizzy things. I know the wrong answer. <clears throat> uh, yeah. And that's uh, so... My grandmother, Uh-oh. who was amazing, amazing, uh, who I got a great deal of my stubbornness from, uh, <laughs> sadly ended up with pancreatic cancer. Oh, and uh, that's she was, rough. Yeah, and at the that you know the end of the end of it, uh, she was staying with my parents, and mm-hmm. my. My mom was fussing at her that she needed to clean her dentures, and my grandma was not trying to hear it, especially from her child. (laughs) So she she got so sick of my my mom nagging her that she took her dentures out of her mouth, licked them, and then stuck them back in and said, now they're clean. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. She's a sassy little one. I mean, that is not a hill I would die on. And it's Same. kind of a weird flex. It, it is. But you know what? All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It was, yeah. Bless her. <laughs> yeah. So dentures are kind of complicated. Um, and not just in that you should clean them. Um, and maybe you don't want to, (laughs) but I guess there are a bunch of papers about this specific area of dentistry, especially on Google Scholar, but they're all extremely specific because, Uh, I mean, they would be extremely specific. And so I ended up cobbling together a timeline from pretty wide array of sources, but there is enough overlap in the parts that I'm pretty confident that um, that most of this information can be verified. And I mean, I did look it all up, but I will, there are a couple things that I'm not, that sound suspect to me. And I will point that out when we get there. Okay. So, the first known example of false teeth was found in Mexico and dates from around 2500 BCE. So that's, you know, yeah, a touch over 4,500 years ago. Like you do. That's, and in Mexico. 
But I don't know why that's surprising to me. The dental device that was found in Mexico, or what is now Mexico, was made of either wolf or jaguar fangs, and paleontologists and archaeologists aren't sure which, although the most frequent reference that I saw said wolf. Um, But it was found with the remains of a man who was beneath volcanic ash and near a cliff that sported some ancient rock art. And the man's corresponding teeth had been cut off, but the fangs wouldn't have helped him eat because they were animal fang-sized. So it's possible, according to archaeologists and paleontologists who have studied it, and I kind of love that it's old enough to need both, um, that maybe they were ceremonial um, because they wouldn't have been functional just by way of their size and shape. Like, you couldn't have actually used them to chew. Yeah, wolf is not the first animal that would come to my mind if I needed to go animal-wise for, like, teeth replacement. No. And so it's thought that maybe this person was either important to the society or some sort of maybe religious figure or something like that. Um, But whatever the reason was, and it's pretty unclear especially since it was so long ago right um it was probably true that he had a place in the upper echelons of the society in which he lived because he was judged to be in his 30s but his body didn't show any indications of hard labor okay yep at 4000 500 plus years ago and not too many people wouldn't have been working real hard physically at that point so he was special i assume um there are also examples from around 4,000 years ago of false teeth that were made of filed bone that were affixed to the mouth of ancient or of an ancient Egyptian mummy in the tomb of El Gigal, um, or El Gigel. I'm, I assume it's probably Spanish. So El Gigel, um, and that the teeth were affixed to remaining teeth using a fine gold wire. Oh. And it sort of looks like horror movie meets wire work jewelry. So yeah. it, it kind of reminds me of, kind of, of your earrings. Yeah. <laughs> um, there we go. I'll add that to the project list. <laughs> yeah, you too could uh, crochet <laughs> dentures. So the Greeks and Etruscans also got in on this whole wire wrapping party. And there's actually, strangely, a decent amount of information about ancient dental work because 
there were mummified remains in abundance at this time. And so the study of Egyptian and Greek mummies really gave a solid look at dental care and dental practices at the time, which isn't necessarily the first thing I would think of, but but it's kind of cool. Yeah. And so this is one of the, maybe not, facts that I found, um, and this was only mentioned in one source, so Mm -hmm. take it with a grain of salt, but it's said that the wire wrapping in this particular form of dentistry sometimes involved soldering the wires in place on living teeth with heat. Like, just take a moment for that. Um, I'm a hard pass on that. And... Yeah. I would... I would have to look up soldering and the history of and... I mean, I know how to do it, and it's a bad idea. Yeah, like, I mean, it happens affixing in, I think that it used to happen in the affixing braces to teeth process, but I don't, I don't remember. It does not sound like a fun Saturday night anyway. No, it's been a long time. Yeah. Well, I guess at the point that we would have been getting dental work, probably we were using strong tooth bonding adhesives. Yeah. But I don't know. Anyway, there was also a single source that claimed that Mayans used stones, bones, and seashells to replace broken teeth, and that those items fused into their jawbones permanently. And that seems extremely questionable to me because then everybody would have done that. Just saying. Like, tooth implants would be less of a problem. Right. (laughs) Like, I, I, especially when it's completely foreign matter, like a shell or a stone. And I mean, that is, they are talking about calcium. A lot of times. I want to say, like, cut the gum open and put it in, and then it's, well, they, I it's mean, they were removing the it. tooth. <laughs> so, presumably, <laughs> that is what was happening. But, I, I also anyway. I also seashell. Like, that doesn't seem smart either. <sighs> yeah. Uh, it wasn't a rabbit hole that I had time to go down. Nope, I don't mind. So, yep, nope. If this happens to be your area of study, listeners, if, if it is a bee in your bonnet, please <laughs> tell me that I am wrong, because I would love to know more about it, but I don't know. I only saw it in one place, and it seemed questionable. All right. So, at this point, it's probably a good idea to mention that people going through this particular horror show of early dentistry. (laughs) It was happening for a couple of reasons. One was likely social status because there is evidence of people having healthy teeth removed and being fitted with these prosthetics. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah. I no. Mm. I've no. never been the I've never been the 
form over function. Like, I've never been the... Okay, that's not true. I mean, I was I was young once. But I, I, when you start plucking body parts for vanity <laughs> and status... Uh... I mean, my grandma had a best friend who had a tooth that got knocked out or pulled or something. I don't know. It was the 30s um or maybe 40s i can't remember but she the the friend had a gold tooth fitted Mm -hmm. and my grandma was so jealous that she through reasons somewhat unclear to me somehow also managed to have a gold tooth fitted and still was proud of it and had it at her death. Wow, okay. Yeah. Well, I guess she had dentures at her death, but that gold tooth was fitted into her dentures. Wow. Which is baffling to me, but I guess it was not dissimilar like status symbol wise in rural Michigan like I think it was not dissimilar to like jewelry yeah only it was permanent so I'm not sure if my grandma knocked her own tooth out (laughs) (laughs) Uh, or if she had that that nonsense pulled, and then I don't even understand. Apparently, <laughs> she could take it out because I remember her okay. telling me about it. I don't think she ever showed me, but ugh. I anyway. would think that would stick with you. Yeah. So she and her childhood best friend had matching gold teeth, um, nice. which was a story I just remembered at this moment. <laughs> so, okay. So. Like I said, one of the reasons that you might have this ancient bad idea dental work done (laughs) is the status symbol of having it be visible. But the other reason was, you know, the tiny little fact that cavities could kill you and did often. Oh, my goodness. Because teeth are so close to the brain that getting an infection in your tooth or jaw or having an abscess, like, it's easy to get blood poisoning. And, Mm. like, it is actually a normal cause of death until gosh at least the turn of the 20th century I mean, like if you look back in it makes uh, sense in death registries yeah um, i mean infected tooth is really frequent oh it's so sad oh that's yeah. so sad i mean and so because the options were be in pain forever, maybe die of that, or get it pulled and maybe die of that. Um, right. Like, it, it was sort of up in the air yeah. what the best course of action was. 
but sometimes undergoing the earliest forms of dental work was literally a life and death choice. And then sometimes you died anyway, because that's how it worked. So back to dentures. Um, The first known example of what we would probably recognize today as partial dentures rocked up to the scene with the Etruscans. And they were in northern Italy, if Those you are crazy not Etruscans. Familiar. Yeah, they were wild. Um, <laughs> and they had the literally bright idea to make prosthetic teeth using human or animal teeth that had been filed into the appropriate shape for the position in their mouth. And then they were fastened in place with pure gold bands. And about 20 examples of these devices have been found in Etruscan tombs. And this was happening around 700 BCE. And they actually look considerably less terrifying than their predecessors. Because I, I failed to mention that the wire ones are sometimes like drilled through teeth. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, like threaded through. So, so that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, yuck. Sorry. But <laughs> they used solid gold because it was flexible. And yeah. so they could fit it around teeth. So basically how they worked is the false tooth or teeth that were needed would be attached to a gold band with tiny fasteners that look a lot like itty bitty gold rivets. Okay. Which is probably what they were, although I did not find any place that said specifically that's what they were, but that's what it looks like. And then because gold is so soft and flexible, then that gold band would be custom molded to fit around the remaining teeth Mm -hmm. to anchor it in place. And, I mean, honestly, that makes sense. It does. It does. And there is some evidence that this is where the evidence that people had healthy teeth pulled and had these devices for status comes in. Because you are talking about a solid gold implement. It's not like gold wasn't already valuable then. So. I don't think it's ever not been valuable. No, because it's shiny. Like, (laughs) I can think of a million other ways I would rather wear gold than having somebody pull my teeth. (laughs) Well, I, yeah, I I don't know. People are weird. Human beings don't make sense. No. So, while Northern Italy seemed to have sort of the dental work on lock for this particular time period, meanwhile, in the rest of Europe, they must have just been broadly pulling teeth or dying from blood infections because... Beyond the Etruscans, not much work in dental prosthesis or dental work was recorded before the Renaissance, which 
is like oh 1500-ish. So that that seems oh a bit late to be doing dental work considering the ancient Egyptians were doing actual dental work. Right. Thousands of years before that. But they did whatever first. Europeans are like dark ages bitches. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And they were real dark. Really dark. Yep. So <laughs> they're like make it out of cast iron and then maybe <laughs> it, it was not cast iron, um, but there there were some questionable <laughs> materials. So at this point and this point being about the sixteenth century things start to get a little more recognizable. Okay. And this is when wooden dentures popped up in Japan. And wooden dentures were still used until the beginning of the 20th century, which is kind of cool. And also makes my tongue numb because... uh, Yeah. uh, um, Because wood. I don't know. Ugh. Um, and while we're on the subject of wooden dentures, I would be remiss if I did not bring up our good pal, President George Washington. Yes. And so I would like to clarify that despite rumors to the contrary, his dentures, and he definitely did have a full set of dentures, were not wooden, although Mm -hmm. for reasons unclear to me that persists throughout history, his were made, and he had several sets. So these sets were made with hippo and elephant ivory, but um, troublingly, also real human teeth from unknown origins and they were specifically from slaves they were um because they were from unknown n-word origins Mm. and i'm just gonna go ahead and not say that right um and it's broadly assumed and i think rightfully so that Horrifyingly, those teeth may have been from enslaved people at Mount Vernon. And that is horrible and disgusting. Yes. But, um, yeah, well, there is no but attached to that. That is full stop. Fuck you, George. I just want the listener to know that she was holding up a cat while yelling that, and I was very confused. All right. But focusing on the dentures that were not problematic in that specific way, although ivory is problematic in other ways, obviously, they were made out of whatever the tooth material would have been, gold rivets and springs. And so absent the human teeth of 
deeply ethically questionable origin. The design sounds very steampunk robot, which was yeah. not what I was expecting steampunk of Dentures. Robot hippo. <laughs> I mean, steampunk robot enslaver. Mm. But anyway, moving along from the thing we know is not at all fine. The false game teeth. The false game teeth. <laughs> The False Teeth game really picked up during the 18th century. And at this time, goldsmiths, ivory turners, and barber surgeons started I'm to sorry, experiment. What, barber surgeon? <laughs> we're we're going to need to cover barber surgeons at some point. Yeah. Um, you should know that at this time, surgical procedures were not performed by physicians, they were performed by by barbers because they had the razors so it was sweeney todd all right yeah yes got it, got correct it. that's where that came from all right so <clears throat> uh tiptoeing away from <laughs> barber surgeons human teeth and animal teeth and carved ivory were being experimented with by these different groups of professionals and enter at this point Alexis du Chateau, who made the first porcelain dentures in 1770. They didn't work, um, but he eventually teamed up with the dentist Nicolas Dubois de Chamon, and the two produced a set that was actually wearable. I would also just like to note that my French pronunciation is not amazing, so... It's better than mine. Uh, French be fancy. Yeah. Anyway, do with that what you will. Um, unsurprisingly, porcelain dentures were pretty, but they chipped pretty easily because porcelain. Porcelain. Yeah. So, Deschamps went to or went on to register the first british patent for porcelain dentures in 1791 after making some improvements to strengthen the porcelain and in 1820 a goldsmith named samuel stockton laid, would go on to later improve the design by mounting porcelain dentures on 18 karat gold plates so sort of hearkening back to the original etruscan denture fitting because mm -hmm. the gold was malleable and so when i say gold plates it's like the the gum part of what modern dentures like the pink yeah. area of modern dentures so that must have been also kind of creepy and steampunk and also pretty awesome but also uncomfortable in winter i don't think broadly until maybe very recently if at all dentures have been very comfortable True. so 
Bouncing into the 1850s, dentists began to make dentures that were vulcanite, which is hardened rubber with porcelain teeth. But because vulcanite was patented, it was expensive to produce because you couldn't produce vulcanite unless you were producing vulcanite. <laughs> you know, sort of like Velcro being mm-hmm. Velcro. Velcro. Yeah. So after that, uh, next came celluloid in the 1890s, which um, is flammable and also smelled really bad because right. camphor is one of the hardening agents that is also. Uh, I believe that is one of the reasons that very few silent films survive because of a fire, I believe at Sony, that was because of fumes from celluloid, if I remember correctly. That makes sense. Um, Yeah, so um, it smelled bad and it didn't hold shape. So (laughs) bring on the vulcanized rubber, honestly. Yeah. All right. And so after celluloid was noped right on out of by pretty much everyone, in came Bakelite, which, you know, is the material your favorite vintage bangles are made out of. And also probably every avocado green plastic radio at a thrift store. (laughs) I know because I have one. Two? (laughs) Several. Anyway, so Bakelite. Bakelite's fun, and I like it. I do, too. It's super fun. But um, yeah, maybe not in my mouth. (laughs) Although it is, I I can't remember. If you get Bakelite wet, I think it gives off a specific odor. It has been a while since I have taken a deep dive into vintage shopping. But one of the ways you do that is to lick it. So I've licked some ba- Bakelite in my time. Bakelite licker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna gonna leave it there. Um, so Bakelite was used from the mid 1920s up until about 1940, and in 1940 everything would change. So finally acrylic resins took over as the main denture base in use and it was non-toxic it didn't stink it held its shape it was cheap and it could be repaired easily and unsurprisingly it's still what is largely used today i was gonna say yep yep so one example of our ancestors being creepier than we could ever be (laughs) bounces back to the early 1800s when dentures were still often made using real teeth and often human teeth. Well, those teeth were in pretty short supply because healthy people with healthy teeth were in pretty short supply. And if you had them, 
you they were in your mouth. So yeah. um at that time sometimes poor people would sell their teeth to dentists for cash, which I think is really horrifying. Ugh. And sometimes they were robbed from graves because everything else in that time period seems to have also been robbed from graves. Although I don't think I had heard that specific use before. Um, but then the Napoleonic Wars happened. And specifically Waterloo happened which started a fad of British people wearing dentures made with, quote, Waterloo teeth as kind of a trophy. And let's be honest, nobody knew what side those teeth came from, but we do know that... About 50,000 young, healthy soldiers died at Waterloo. And Mm -hmm. that's where those teeth came from. Uh, Yeah. Gross on a couple different levels. Yeah. And so, I mean, I had to throw that in because we are the Bones and Bobbins podcast. We are. And and we are, like... Holy shit, sometimes history is horrifying. Yep. But luckily, modern dentures are not using real teeth. Although I'm not actually sure if they might use your real teeth if you had some healthy teeth. Um, but probably not. They would just do partials around or bridges. But... Right. Um, So modern dentures, like modern prosthetic eyes, are really works of art. They're pretty cool. And they have, like, tiny blood vessels in the gum area and slight imperfections and slight discoloration sometimes. Like, especially if you were, say, a smoker um, and you didn't want anyone to know that you had needed to get false teeth uh uh, they might add tobacco stains to them like there there's a lot of interesting things going on with modern dentures and false teeth and so that brings us up to current and i'm sure that there are a lot of other very specific examples But that's sort of the overview of how false teeth and dentures and dental prosthetics happened. Wow. There's there's a lot. (laughs) I didn't expect so much gold. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of... It sort of makes grills make a lot more sense. And I kind of want to know... If that maybe was part of the inspiration early on, I don't know. True, 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 true. I mean, maybe not. Maybe it's entirely not the same at all. But it is kind of cool to think about. 
And those are very specific custom fitted dental appliances. Yes, they are. Like Um. very, like they are fitted as expertly as any retainer. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Do do you want to hear one of my dad's favorite jokes? Uh Uh-huh. I don't know if it's a joke or just a witty thing, but it's super dad. And it's, if you aren't true to your teeth, they'll be false to you. (laughs) That sounds like a threat. (laughs) Right? Right. Uh, Some of my first panic attacks involved Oreos, specifically. I think Hmm. because you could see them in, like, your molars. And being quite certain that those were immediately turning into cavities that looked like Oreos. Getting my wisdom teeth in was like my biggest fear. Oh, wisdom teeth. Mine mine were all impacted, so they never came in. Mine were impacted and my bottom two were um, laying down sideways and fused to the jawbone. Fun. Um, Yeah, super cool. Yeah, yeah. Super cool. We, uh, as we discussed in our <laughs> pre-podcast <laughs> podcast, only just for us, um, yes. we both had pretty traumatic mm-hmm. experiences during our dental surgeries, and you died. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. So that's fun. Yep. So. Yep piggybacking off of that it would be really great if you could have your teeth pulled like and it would be completely painless oh wouldn't it wouldn't it um and once upon a time yeah there and was not a- having to get those shots oh i hate them i would rather Indeed. feel the well exactly. all of the things than have the nummy pressure <laughs> yep mm-hmm so once upon a time, there was a street dentist, and yeah, those words should not go together. But they street are street pers- dentist. Yes, but they are precisely what led me to kind of like barber surgeon. Right, exactly. Deeply um, bad idea. So his name was Edgar Randolph Rudolph Parker. Well. He would l- go on to legally change his name to Painless Parker, but he swore that his tooth extractions were completely painless. And, and why would that be? To whom you will find out, because today <laughs> I'm going to tell you all about Parker and the entire empire of huckster dentistry that he built. Huckster dentistry. That is yes. not... A thing that I foresaw. Right? Uh, I did not know this was a thing. I was not looking for this when I was doing other research. No. But the second I was like, huh, that sounds interesting. And the more that I read, it was like, oh, yep. Winner, winner. Yeah, Um, I had no idea that this was a thing. And I feel like I know a lot about, I mean, I don't I live in Brooklyn. We've got Coney Island. Like, uh, I have seen an awful lot of histories of various things that were done on public display that maybe shouldn't uh, have been. And Edgar made some history in Brooklyn. Let me tell you. 
Oh, did he? Yes, he did. So Tell our me buddy, a story. Yes. So our buddy Edgar Rudolph Randolph Parker was born in 1872 in a little village of Tynemouth Creek on the New Brunswick shore of the Bay of Undy in Canada to one of the leading families of the community. Oh, so, so he was Victorian. This explains a lot. Mm-hmm. All right. He started his career as a wee lad. Like, as a kid, he would pedal along, like, the back roads with a horse-drawn wagon selling, like, you know, bits and bobs that people might want or need or whatever. I you were going to say teeth. <laughs> <laughs> or that so, he was going around pulling teeth. You're right. Not yet. Although uh, I do want to say at that age, I was piercing people's ears. There you with go. a needle and a bar of soap. <laughs> and uh, my mom knew. Now you can just get the kids off Amazon. Uh, so when he was old enough, Edgar's mother wanted him to actually be a preacher. And so he was packed off to Acadia University in Nova Scotia. Now, okay. in, in his short time there, he was in more scrapes than any other student on record and was finally just expelled. Uh, so later, not a born preacher. No. Uh, later, while sick, his mother uh, managed to persuade him to maybe give it another go, but this time enter the old Baptist seminary in St. Martin's, New Brunswick. Because that's and, looser. Right? Uh, and <laughs> surprise, surprise, Edgar got his ass kicked out of there, too. I <laughs> bet he did. Right? Super I Bare, very nearly got mine kicked out of the Baptist <laughs> church. Um, oh, I for sure would have. Uh, yeah. So at this point, he's like, hey, uh, my dad's a sailor. Got a bunch of family that's sailing. You know, let's, let's try sailing. Well, his sailing days were not exactly a party. Uh, no, I see he- shanties going on in my head right he wound up in jail in south america for what i'm not entirely sure i could not find out why Uh, tooth pirate right uh he was hurt in an accident then he got assaulted then he caught dengue fever that sucks and then yeah speaking of mosquitoes uh, and decided that maybe sailing was not the life for him so that seems fair when he snapped out of dengue fever and was well enough, he caught a ship and hightailed it back to New Brunswick and asked his parents if he could study medicine. Uh, problem How was... Is, isn't he old enough to make his own choices at this point? Or is he still a child? He's still a child. Oh, uh, dear God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think he's probably around 18-ish. Yeah, life came Maybe, at like, you fast. Barely. Right. He's a... He's a a baby uh so the problem is is that the wooden shipbuilding was on its last legs as an industry in new brunswick so his father's shipyard uh was kind of failing huh. family funds were low and a medical course was expensive so <laughs> yes as it remains right uh and rightfully so uh so yeah in I, I mean, with scholarships available. Right. Like, but education you, shouldn't cost so much. You don't want to be able to buy your medical certificate right, outright. Right. So, yeah. From sketchy um, places. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, 
So being a doctor seemed pretty out of the question. So Edgar was like, hey, there's a dental course. This is cheaper and shorter. So he enrolled in the New York College of Dentistry. Oh, uh, good. Oh, yes. Uh, and <laughs> why is he in New York? Go away. Right. Uh, so here's a direct quote from our buddy Edgar. I've got a bunch of them, which is kind of fun. Oh, uh, I'm excited. While the other boys were studying, I was out getting enough to eat via door-to-door dentistry. I carried what? my tools. <laughs> yep. I carried my tools with me. I put my foot in a door and gave a spiel pattern after my peddler's spiel. If I sold some dentistry, I'd start with the cook's teeth. If I didn't kill the cook and was lucky, I'd wind up working on the teeth of the lady in the house. At first... If I didn't kill the cook. Yeah. At first, I'd encounter problems I hadn't come to yet in my dental course, and I'd have to come back later when we reached that part of the book. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, Edgar. The size of the balls on that kid. (laughs) Seriously. So when uh, New York College of Dentistry found out about his little extracurriculars, he was expelled. Uh, he couldn't just wait to be a dentist? No, no apparently not. Because, uh, right. you know, he's got that sales blood, I guess. Uh, so Parker was later Maybe accepted. Maybe he should sell vacuums. <laughs> right. I mean, I know that this is not the time for yeah. that, but still. Yep. Yeah. So, Parker was later accepted into the Philadelphia Dental College, which is now Temple University, Hmm. and uh, graduated in 1892. Diploma in hand, he's now 20. Wait, so now he is a dentist? Now, yep, now he's a dentist. He just had to go to Philly? Yeah. Uh, Okay. 20 years old, diploma in hand, he's like, I'm going to set up office in my hometown thinks he's going to do all the things right. He joined and became active in a church, various civic organization. He's trying to build up his reputation. Another so he actually our... did have a real dental he education. He did. Okay. Um, so another quote from our buddy. I attended church twice each, sun- twice each Sunday. I sat in one of the front pews and did all the chores from passing the collection plate to singer, singing louder than anybody else in the choir. I carried the biggest Bible ever taken into the Baptist church at St. Martin's, the Parker Family Bible, which weighed 15 pounds. Man, family Bibles are so cool. Right? Um, but despite all of his wonderful networking, he only had one patient in his first four months of practice, netting him a whole 75 cents. Wait, wait. He was going to church to get dental patients? Yeah, to like work on his reputation in the community. (laughs) So this is, so this is, uh, this is a time where like practicing dentistry uh, was kind of easy to get accredited in, but it was hard to actually practice. Because dental hygiene wasn't up on, like, high up on people's priorities. Going to dentists wasn't a normal thing. Certainly not like we go now. Um, oh, and it was I need much... to make an appointment with my dentist. Because <laughs> this episode, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll go. Uh, my dentist is literally across the street from my apartment. Oh, see, yeah. And yet. 
here we are. <laughs> so, in fact, the only reason that they typically went to a dentist was to get an aching tooth extracted. Yeah. Dental products weren't super accessible. Toothbrushes were made out of animal bristles, specifically hair from hogs, horses, and badgers. And it I mean, was just that makes sense since hairbrushes are right. also made of like boar. Right. Uh, Even today. So it was just wildly accepted that most people would lose all their teeth by the age of 40 or even before. Oh, I actually read that statistic. It was 70% of people. Oh, gosh, I wish I could remember. Um, I think 1969, 70% of all people in England would not have any natural teeth. That sounds right. So, anyway, how, that that might not be correct, but it is the right idea. Yeah. Uh, so, how did this guy go from seventy five cents in four months to making what is expected to be more than anyone else ever has at dentistry? How? Let me tell you. I'm so, Parker believed that. They use the term ignorance, but not like, I mean, just not knowing any better. Uh, lack of money and pain were the major deterrents to proper dental care. And I mean, uh, that's now. Right. And pain being the strongest. Um, he also noticed that uh, at that time, the prevailing ethical standards of organized dentistry prohibited solicitation of patients which seems hmm. super weird um was it thought to be an ethics thing or like dentists were taking healthy teeth to sell indentures or something like that oh no it was ethics they were kind of uppity on this um huh so it was definitely an ethical thing uh, oh, yeah, Parker pissed him off like nine ways till Sunday. So Parker rebelled, and he totally decided that if the patients were not going to come to him, then he was going to go to them. And in doing so, he launched a system that would bring him fame, fortune, and, like, the f fierce loathing from all of dentistry. He packed up his instruments, and he hitched a ride to Hampton, 25 miles away. There he emerged as Painless Parker, the Great Dentist, in a borrowed wagon lit by a borrowed lantern, he tooted a borrowed dinner horn to draw an audience. Then, exercising <laughs> the psychology he had acquired as a peddler and door-to-door -door dentist, he launched into a lecture which was climaxed with the announcement that he could extract teeth almost painlessly. Now, when Great. he did this, a farmer stepped forward and had two teeth pulled while the crowd watched. And afterward, he was like, hey, it didn't hurt at all. A couple of others had teeth hauled, like pulled, and they were equally as enthusiastic. According to him. <laughs> Enthusiastic. Right? That is not like, usually what you hear of after a, a tooth extraction. Uh, according to him, I took in $8 that night 
and $30 the next day. And I was through being an ethical dentist. I started for Vancouver, working towns all through Canada. Huh. So Parker gambled on being able to make the label painless stick because the odds were kind of loaded in his favor. He used his gift for salesmanship to sell the pa- like patients on the idea that it's not going to hurt at all um, with, you know, this great confidence. And you know, let's face it, smarminess. Uh, but he so he knew that the most most of the suffering then and even now with dent, you know, in the dentist chair is kind of a mind over matter. It's more mental than it is physical. So yep. h- how did he accomplish the painless part with persuasion? distraction the abundant use of whiskey and a homemade aesthetic brew whose base was cocaine that he applied directly into like packed into the cavity hot damn uh i mean that'd do it right i mean i'd be lining up for that uh so an extraction his shtick was an extraction cost 50 cents those brave enough to have a tooth extracted were promised five dollars in return if they experienced pain so it was straight up a carnival trick at that point so cocaine unfortunately didn't always work 100 percent, but when it failed Parker had music to fall back on if he was pulling the teeth in public. If the patient started to scream, he had a cornet player that would toot like mad and a drummer that would almost beat the head off the drum. So they just strike I mean, that would also be really distracting if you were the one experiencing pain. Exactly. Oh, I have the actual number and I'm way off. Oh, no. Um, It sounded right. 1970 um like before 1970 mm-hmm. the overall instance of people with no remaining teeth who were uh 64 or 50 to 64 is 10 percent mm-hmm. and the overall um percentage of the cross-section of the population is 3.76 percent but it has gone down drastically okay um i mean the the number of permanent teeth has risen drastically (laughs) anyway um makes sense sorry i just thought i should correct that since it was so far off we are about accuracy so (laughs) (laughs) we try to be so that's when you know he hit the road and became a traveling street dentist Again, <laughs> let's not string these words together. <laughs> On oh. his 21st birthday. Oh, my God. In, he's so young. Seriously. <laughs> On his 20, which is another thing, too. Like, you know, he was a decent looking guy, totally charismatic. Like, he had a lot of work in his favor and he knew how to do it. Um, so on his 21st birthday, he was in Victoria, uh, British Columbia, mm-hmm. and he had an urge to settle down. So he rented an office, like you uh, persuaded a sign painter to paint him a modest little sign just about two and a half feet long, which he paid for in exchange with dentistry. 
He hadn't even hung um, the sign when the first patient arrived. He was super excited. His they pain knew he re- had cocaine. <laughs> right? His painless reputation had spread. Well, after Parker fiddled about in the patient's mouth, he got a bit of a surprise. Because the patient pulled out his badge of authority and told Parker, Hey, asshole, you're not registered to practice here. But because Parker's a lucky son of a bitch, he, uh, it turns out the judge and the police captain in the area, uh, are distant relatives. Oh. So I think he had to pay like a $2 fine. All right. And it was, that's, what is that? Three teeth? Less than three teeth. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so he got out of it, but he was like, "Mm, nope, going back on the road. He eventually set up shop in Brooklyn in 1897 and announced Painless Parker was in business. Do we know what part of Brooklyn? uh, I do not know specifically. I imagine it was my neighborhood since it was almost the only area truly settled. (laughs) Now I'm going to find out. I, I know that there is addresses. Um... I will get you those. Uh, (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) So he established a huge office uh, in 1900 with uh, outside signage that was true to Parker, fucking large, gaudy, and grandiose in in his claims. Oh, I take that back. That's 1900, so I'm thinking 1800. Ah. But, yeah. So, this is my favorite. Like, it's almost like he knew he needed to step it up for fucking New York. Well, it's Brooklyn. He he kept being a street dentist, despite having that (laughs) office. And Mm -hmm. he preached like an evangelist with about the benefits of dentistry to (laughs) anyone that would listen. Uh, He was a tooth barker. (laughs) Right? He was. He was totally a tooth barker. So even though he he was established in New York, he did not give up the roadshow. In fact, he bumped that shit up and it became the Parker Dental Circus. Yes. With a 15 piece band, <laughs> buglers, tattooed ladies, contortionists, the human skeleton, and dazzling dancing girls. Wow. I want to go to that dentist. Right? After a lecture, the extractions would begin. Not shockingly, a lecture. Yeah. About the importance of oral care. Uh, Everything Uh, had a lecture. Right. Uh, So not shockingly, the first uh, patient, note the air quotes, Mm -hmm. uh, extraction was usually a freaking sham. The Parker troop member would hop in the chair, a a tooth was palmed, and then the extraction was performed uh, you know, again, air quotes, and announced with the tooth held high in forceps, what the patient said, you know, testifying there was no pain at all, and the crowd would go wild. Um, I kind of love that there was just a tooth that they kept around for that tooth. purpose. The pocket tooth. <laughs> the pocket uh, tooth. For the following <laughs> patients, the band was very important to his success, for at that moment, again, uh, a signal was given and the band would play loudly so it would drown out any moans that would occur. Yep. At one stop, 
he extracted a record 357 teeth in one day. Like, there's photos of them in a giant bucket. I want to it know where he put them. Just, oh, around his neck. <laughs> I shit you not. There are, he made necklaces from them. Uh, there's photos of this guy rocking them. Listen, kind of, we'd be friends he, with him. As he's older, like, bef- like as he got older and older, he started to look straight up like Colonel Sanders, but also oh. rocking all these teeth around his neck. Oh, I've got photos. It's amazing. Oh, I am excited. We will have to put them on Instagram. <laughs> like any circus, flyers were handed out. There were even posters and ads in the local papers announcing his arrival. Like... I fucking love this. Seriously. Like, I was so like, this has to be done. By 1900, Painless Parker not only had his huge teeth fixing emporium in, oh, it was on Flatbush Avenue. Um, That is near me. Yeah. But five branch establishments scattered all around the boroughs of Greater New York. He also had offices in Albany and Troy. His turnover reached Five thousand dollars a day. Holy shit! Five thousand dollars a day, at like fifty cents a piece. Holy shit! For teeth, right? His name—that's a lot such, of teeth, right? His name was such a household word. Vaudeville comedians cracked jokes about him. Other dentists fucking hated him, and pretty much. Like, the whole dental profession was after him at one point, where he had to have lawyers to protect him in court. (laughs) Another, as if he's not, like, just kind of badass, weird, and cool enough, as it is, when there was a circus anywhere around, he would arrange to fill or pull the teeth of any lions or tigers that needed it, or to put, like, a gold inlay in the tusks of warriors to make them look more fun, and he did this, of course, in the center ring for free because it was publicity. That's a for the really s- bad idea. Right? Uh, I mean, w- were they all jacked up on cocaine, too? Probably. I mean, let's face it. He probably did just, you know, here, just take a little bit of this. Uh, but it was totally publicity for Painless Parker. And the circus goers were like, yeah, this is amazing because, I mean, he's pulling teeth out of, you know, animals. Yeah. So, wanting to expand, uh, he, it was like 1912, Parker moved to L.A. and then later to San Francisco. As he moved about, he set up more, more offices, all of which had this, like, giant glorious signage. He also developed and sold painless Parker dental products, mouthwash, toothpaste. Uh, he Were used they air- all cocaine? <laughs> Probably. Uh, he used airplanes to tow, like, giant advertising banners. But he also made educational films about oral hygiene. He had a nationally syndicated call-in radio show about dentistry. What? <laughs> yes. He then started seeing to the dental needs of zoo animals, which he called hippodontia. <laughs> and he became a celebrity dentist treating many glamorous movie stars of the time. And in fact, movies were made loosely based on his life. 
Bob Hope played Painless Potter, a hapless dentist in a western called The Pale Face. Oh. Oh, I know this building. Wherever there was a situation offering visibility and free advertising, this guy milked it for, like, every freaking thing he could. His style, theatrics, and, like, other, like, behavior, like, Again, like the dental establishment was just pissed and he was constantly in legal trouble. Parker referred to his adversaries as the ethicals who were engaged in the noble tooth plumbing profession. The noble tooth plumbing profession. (laughs) He he seemed to kind of dig these battles because like each legal squabble pretty much produced, you know, public notice. On one specific instance, uh, the dental establishment was um, called on for his use of advertising. So even his stage name, Painless Parker, was in play. So they took him to court in 1915 Hmm. on charges of false advertising. Uh, So what did Parker do? Rub their teeth with cocaine. (laughs) He legally changed his name from Edgar to Painless. (laughs) It ended the problem. That was his name. I love this guy. Right? So Parker's business thrived even in the midst of all of this freaking legal controversy. Uh, I mean, of course it did. Because I want to go to there. Right. And he so he continued to open more dental offices. He kind of created the first, like, dental clinics. His clinics were large and modern with, like, multiple chairs. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that meant more chairs than doctors. Um, He hired dental assistants and hygienists to work together as a team, which wasn't common practice. Fascinating. Yeah, there were patients by the thousands, and his greatest difficulty was finding um was finding qualified dentists who were willing to work for him. Uh and hmm. I quote from our friend Paintless Parker, they were, I might say, disdainful. They act as if they were choir girls and I was the madam of the house of ill repute. So um Those things yeah. don't go together. Right, but you know I mean <laughs> it's, it's him. It gets this this gets even more interesting, dude. So a number of those who agreed to join him had pretty much been fired or kicked out of everywhere else because they had drunk themselves too, if not directly into the gutter. Oh. So he sent them to sanatorium to be dried out and steadied up. He gave them new clothes, helped them with their debts, and if he was <laughs> this is my favorite. Just because fucking misogyny. Uh, If they were married, he had a heart-to-heart talk with their wives. Because, and I quote, nothing drives a man to the bottle quicker than a nagging woman. So, he developed a system of rehabilitating alcoholics, which worked in a high percentage of cases. I didn't see that coming. Back on their feet. Some men he literally salvaged from Skid Row ended up earning ten to twelve thousand dollars a year as an employee. Holy shit! Right? Like, isn't that like like this I guy mean, is? That's really 
really good. Right? I mean, except for the nagging wife part. But right. like, like, wow. When he died in 1952, he had 28 offices that employed 70 dentists. He had made and lost fortune several times over, but he died a multimillionaire from his dental businesses and some uh, large land holdings that he had in California. Hmm. News of his death was reported in Life magazine in 1952. If Parker was not the best dentist in the world, he was definitely certain, like the most famous. He lived a yeah. life of contrast. So like he was both famous and infamous. He was a celebrity mm-hmm. and a scoundrel. He was kind of a quack, but also an inventor. Um, he was admired and also fucking hated for what he did and how he did it. But this guy who, again, freaking huckster street dentist, also championed oral hygiene, preventative care, going to the dentist on a regular basis. Huh. Uh, he supported access to care. He was one of the first to use local anesthesia, even if it was cocaine and whiskey. Uh, I mean, whatever. So were right. a lot of things. He expanded the dental office uh, to include multiple doctors, hygienists, dental assistants. His clinics had evening hours. He promoted low-cost dentistry. There was no charge for examinations and advice. Prices were negotiable for poor patients. He gave out discount coupons. He extended credit. You have one full year to pay to his patients so that they could pay for their work when they could. Payments could also be made in installments. He believed in the slogan, services kept up to the highest possible point and fees are kept down to the lowest possible point. Hmm. And that is the story of Edgar Randolph Rudolph Painless Parker, the street dentist Huckerster ahead of his time. Very ahead of his time. And I do right. know the building. And it's not in my neighborhood, but it's in the neighborhood directly next to mine. And there you go. I could not do this story because I was like, there is so much here. Oh, my God. Like, that is so good, though. <laughs> like, I can see why you would hate this guy. But at the same time, like, he genuinely had a good heart. If he was the, if he was the evil douche canoe that the dentistry like profession wanted to make him out to be, he would never have come. He would never push oral hygiene, even even with even though he had his own products, he oh, yeah. wouldn't he wouldn't push preventative care. He wouldn't have plans for the lower. He definitely wouldn't like dry out and he utilized uh alcoholics anonymous i mean he literally created a program to dry out dentists and give them a whole new life i mean mean, that's amazing especially because it worked right like that's difficult he might have said the cocaine you never know well but (laughs) i'm giving him an a for effort on this i mean the but the fact that he recognized that that was a problem that could be fixed right. by way of like help and intervention. That's that's interesting. 
and proper help. Like he actually sent them to a hospital to get dried out. Like it's not like he locked them in the basement. And yeah, which is you know. good because um, alcohol withdrawals are no joke. Right, and, like, and he you paid you for can that. die right from that. Yeah, and um, he paid for that. Like he invested in these people. I it's, feel really good about that part. Right, like I feel I feel he definitely. Was he shady as shit? Yeah. He did some questionable shit in there. But I think that the good that he did far outweighs the sketchiness that he did. All right. Um, at least that's what I... I mean, he... he Apparently would have been there were two of them. Two of what? There were dueling dentists. Shut up. I know he had a business partner at one point who passed away. And mm-hmm. that's... It's it was called right the Dental Wars. Real oh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get all up in that because yes, I this was why I'm fun not enough. Any further? Um, this but, was fun enough, and I was reading yeah. like academic papers for this, and I was like, just I, it's his his Wikipedia that I'd stumbled across had just enough information where I was like, I need to know this guy, <laughs> like I need to read. About him, and I am so happy I did because oh, I yes, it was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, you need to learn about his nemesis now oh. because I, when trying to find out where the building was, stumbled upon uh, Doctor Ritter. Um, <gasps> Ooh, and I mean, I am just looking over the Brownstoner article, and <laughs> it that's actually a totally reputable blog. Um, nice for local stuff because um, it's brownstone brooklyn but one of my resources <sighs> was the uh one of canada's national magazines from 1949 <laughs> <laughs> but i mean that makes sense oh you know what we should do hmm. we should look up advertisements um in our newspaper accounts yes. for like Damn, there Jack. is a ton of his stuff. Yeah, we should like do an episode just reading the ridiculous advertisements for like dental, like dentures and yeah. um, dentistry oh. and stuff like that. Hundred oh, percent fun. Yes, but I love wow, that's yeah. dueling painless dentists with cocaine and whiskey. <laughs> I mean. You could you could do a lot to somebody who's hopped up on whiskey and cocaine. Cocaine people hopped up on cocaine can get shot multiple times and keep running it. Um, so, wow, man, I can't believe I'd never heard of that guy before. Right, same. It's such a good story. Same. I was like, there's a circus and like movies and all I, yeah i was wow. completely like i should have known about this guy but yeah. i am so glad that you found that and <laughs> that i got to hear the story because what the fuck and also <laughs> yes <laughs> I, i'm hoping there's footage of that circus somewhere because <laughs> i just i found a video Seriously, can you imagine like being in it being in a chair, having somebody pull your tooth, and there's like people oh, there are photos flaming. of the outside of of it happening, yes. of the line of people and stuff. Oh but my gosh. 
Ooh, and the tooth necklace. That is Isn't it something. Something. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um Wow. Wow. He does look like Colonel Sanders too. Right. I mean, we're we're just gonna have to post some pictures. Yeah. Maybe I yeah, should so. go to the building and take a selfie. Ooh. Not fun. that that will matter. I don't the actual um Painless Parker sign was still up, it looks like, in the 80s. But wow. I don't think it is anymore. <laughs> be fun if they turn it into a bar. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, it's a big building. It's like a full city block. <laughs> oh, damn. Uh-huh. Get it, um, Painless Parker. Yeah, for, for New Yorkers out there, it's the intersection of Atlantic and Flatbush, which is a... a recognizable intersection <laughs> like atlantic flash flatbush and fourth all come together right there and oh yeah yeah i know exactly where that is <laughs> <laughs> and i oh and i didn't why didn't i know about this guy i don't know i didn't oh. either it was like complete happenstance that i'm I... so glad that I'm so glad that you introduced him to me because hot Yay! damn. Right? That's yeah. a party. I want to go to the dental circus. I I would I would definitely. Uh, I mean, I don't need any yeah. teeth pulled, but I just want to go. Right? That'd be fun. Yeah. Wow. Do you know what's not fun? What? Dying. Oh. <laughs> it's I mean, done for the Weekly worst way to die. I don't even know what sound I was just making. Neither do I. In my own sound. So, what's what's your weekly worst way to die this week? Well, my weekly worst way to die is something that actually did not come up in this episode, but I think it came up in our tooth jewelry episode. Um, toothworms, <laughs> which don't actually exist, but they were supposed to be what caused cavities. And just think about that for a moment. That's just nightmare fuel. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What's yours? Oh. Um, mine is allergic reaction to anesthesia while having wisdom teeth pulled, uh, which pretty much almost happened. I mean... Um, yeah. And I didn't find out about it till like two or three days later. My <gasps> mom was like, my mom was like, oh, so by the way, but I, I had a very distinct, I, I distinctly remember waking up while it was going and the, and the dentist going, you're all done. You're fine. We're just giving your teeth a nice little clean. And I literally looked him in the face and said, you are lying to me, and then passed back out. Um, <laughs> but apparently the nurse ran out to the waiting room, looked at my parents and said, we're having a little bit of a prop. Actually, no, I didn't flatline. I stopped breathing. Oh, that's fun. And they were having trouble what getting What were they using, to... chloroform? <laughs> I have no idea. Um, I have it written down somewhere. Because I, I turned it into, I had to call, years later, I had to call them and find what it was. Um, 
to put on my birth plan when I was pregnant oh, with my oldest. That's important. Just in case. Right. Um, but I, yeah, so I stopped breathing and they were having trouble getting me to breathe again. And that's they were like, we're giving her like by the time I get back there, if she is not breathing again on her own, we are calling 911. She is going to the hospital. Like, they were super concerned. At least they were on top of it. They were. Of course, my parents didn't say anything about this. And I wasn't, oh my gosh, I had, I was in my 20s when this happened. Jeez. Um, I had already moved to California and back. Like, you should um, have definitely been told. <laughs> Right, but you know, it's a family trait. You don't, you know, tell people. Oh, you just stop breathing. <laughs> yeah, no big right. deal. Uh, but yeah, so actually not breathing again, that would totally just be a sucky way to die. I agree, especially if you were awake staring at the dentist. That was after they had, I must, it must have been one of those things where I went <gasps> and like woke up, like up, up. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Because, you know, and then he's like, <laughs> but I remember when it, I, re, I distinctly remember calling this guy out. He was like, we're just giving him a little cleaning. And I was like, that's not accurate. Like, something's going on here. But then, yeah, pass back out again. Um, so, well, yeah. that's 10 an out adventure. of 10 would not recommend. No. Um, no. It was not fun. Uh, nor was the recovery from that. It was no. pretty rough. I thought I had a solid plan. Uh the doctor was all about pushing the meds. He's like, there's no reason you should have to be in pain. He's like, take this. Yeah. That was the first <laughs> time I ever experienced Vicodin. Oh, that just um, makes me barf. It made, it's exactly what it did to me. But first, That's not a thing you want to do with sutures in your mouth. Right? First, it made me super hyper. Mm-hmm. Like I had like all of this energy. But I was also groggy as fuck. So I remember being in a Target with my parents. And I'm like looking at them going, I know I'm talking too far, too fast and too much. And I don't know why I'm doing this. And I know I can't stop, but I don't want to stop. I don't know what's going on. I was just like babbling. I remember <laughs> babbling. And then, yeah, I remember my whole plan to nurse myself was to, uh, I had a whole stack of, of videos that I had rented because I am old. And that's okay. I'm that old, too. Uh, I had a big stack of them from the Blockbuster. I was going to say, had, if you had a Blockbuster membership yeah, card. I yeah. had had me some Malto meal. Uh, I had Ooh, plenty of Malto fluids. Meal. I, I was just going to. Oh, yeah. Malto meal was my jam. So I was just going to eat Malto meal and watch movies and sleep. That but sounds like a lot. reasonable plan. Yeah, but it was. Except a lot for of opioids. Yeah, but that that messed with my system because it would make me yeah I would get super hyper, then vomit everywhere yep. and then pass out for like twelve hours. So I mean it was, it was a rough ride. It was a rough ride. Like I mm-hmm. I to this day do not know how. In my head, I'm like I can't imagine how Brett Favre played football, hopped up on so much Vicodin. I'm like I could not like the amount of Vicodin. Because, you know, Packers. I'm from Packerland. Um, well, yeah. I'm like, how? How? How does anybody function on that, let alone become addicted to it? That sucks. That's not fun. Do you know it's that my mother-in-law time. has a cheese head? Does she? And wears it. 
Oh my goodness. I have a photo of her with like good wine wearing the thing and yelling at the TV. I Because uh, she grew up in the Upper Peninsula. So it's closer to Packers yep. than um, to Lions. I grew up watching the Packers with my dad. Um, love it. <laughs> I grew up watching we'll, the Lions lose. We'll never wear a <laughs> cheese head. Never. I mean, Don't, it's a yeah. pretty hilarious cheese head. They're pretty fun. Uh, they're very funny. Uh, yeah, quick, quick fact. Speaking mm. of cheese heads. Uh, in, <laughs> in Dogma... There's a scene that's supposed to take place in in the Milwaukee Mitchell International Airport. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a stand of cheese heads. And I, every time I see it, I'm like, that is not our airport. Because it's not. I'm like, you could have made it look like it. But no. We are more than cheese heads. Yeah. I feel like most... Airports aren't actually airports, although our um, one of our local airports, one of the two New York City ones, has the old TWA, um, not gate, terminal, there we go, mm-hmm. um, and restored it and turned it into a hotel. I know that and I've seen the hotel. It's I, um, really cool looking. It is very cool. It is super swank. I yeah. like it. Uh, I have not been there, but people I know have been there. I remember Why reading about I it been there? being built. I don't know. No, not fucking pandemic, but also I don't go anywhere. Let's blame it on old white men and pandemics. It's just it. That's everything. Both of those now. things. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. On that note, do you want to be spooky internet friends? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> suck at that uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's why it's good we are bones and bobbins on instagram facebook twitter pinterest all those things you can also just find us at uh bones and bobbins.com shocking shocking yes <laughs> And don't forget to rate and review this podcast because we almost died. Yes. And by we, I mean I didn't actually tell my story about it. But um, (laughs) just rest assured that uh, anesthesiologists and the both of us are not friends. Um, Anyway, (laughs) don't forget to rate and review this podcast because it pleases the internet gremlins and us. And that's how we show up in recommendations so that other morbid souls can find us and we want them to. Bring forth the morbid souls. For totally not creepy reasons. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and on that note, uh-huh. let us leave you with some advice that you should never forget. Never. Lock your doors. And don't run with scissors. <laughs> I feel like I should wicked witch cackle at the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you, my pretty. And your little dog, dog too. too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm done. And your teeth. <laughs>
<sighs> oh, goodness. Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content. <laughs>